0: <clears> 1 <throat> Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 1 says but concerning the times and the seasons brethren you have no need that I should write to you for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the lord so comes as a thief in the night for when they say peace and safety then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman and they shall not escape But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith, and love, and as a helmet the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. Therefore, comfort one another or comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. And we urge you, Brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, test all things, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who calls you, excuse me, he who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, give me the words that I stand in need of this morning. God, I pray that the hearer, Lord, will become a doer of your word. God, I pray that, Lord, in a miraculous way as only you can. Lord, from the Holy Spirit that lives within me, God, to that same Holy Spirit that lives within me, each believer here that you would make application, that you would make realization. God, so many things we know. God, as Paul said, Lord, there's no need to write it again, but we need the reminder. We need to realize it. We need to recognize it for it to flourish into reality in our hearts in such a way that affects the way we think, the way that we feel, the way that we act, God, the way that we live. God, do that through your word and through the preaching this morning. We thank you that your word does not return void. In Jesus' name, amen. You see uh, the title here Salvation, Holiness, and Arrival. Salvation, Holiness, and Arrival. Really, uh, the three steps to the Christian life. It begins in salvation, uh, it moves forward in holiness, and we look forward to the day of our arrival. I thank God that I am not yet what I ought to be. uh, But I thank God that I am not what I once was. And that's the process of sanctification. Uh, It's a process of growing in holiness. It's a process of growing in Christ. uh, Of maturing in Christ. Of strengthening the relationship to uh, be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. To live as He lived. uh, To walk as He walked. To hold in highest value, our relationship with God granted to us through Jesus Christ. And our arrival uh, will not come until the day of our death or the return of Jesus Christ. Uh, but that is our aim and that is our goal. And you see these laid out in First Thessalonians chapter 5. He begins speaking about the day of the Lord in 1 Thessalonians. Uh, in the first 11 verses. Uh, and this is uh, under the, the heading here of salvation. When he talks about the day of the Lord, he talks in the first four verses about the suddenness of Jesus' return. Uh, he tells you, you don't need for me to write to you regarding the times and seasons. You know perfectly that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. When they say, when the world believes that they have figured it out, Right when the world believes that they finally arrive to peace and safety, then suddenly Christ will come and return, as it says here, bringing sudden destruction. Now, for us as believers, verse four, we are not in darkness, so that this day does not have to overtake us as a thief in the night. The interpretation of these first four verses is not that we can know when Christ will return. Understand that. Do not take these verses as to say the world is going to be shot, but according to verse 4, we who walk in the light can figure out when Christ is returning so that it does not surprise us. That is not what verse 4 is saying. Jesus makes very plain that no man knows the day or the hour, not even the angels in heaven know when Christ is going to return. So when you hear a preacher who is determined to explain to you the weeks of Daniel and the weeks of Revelation and add up these times and these dates based on when Jerusalem became a nation and one generation is this and the blood moon is that, turn him off. Are you with me? Just turn him off. Just refocus on the truth of God's Word and know... That the command repeatedly to us as believers is not to try to usurp the Word of God and figure out when He is going to come, but to be watchful and to be ready. Right? There's a lot of different reasons why people might want to figure out when Christ is coming, but I don't believe any of them are good reasons. You know that? Christ has called us, the Word of God calls us simply To be ready. What it is saying in verse 4. We don't have to be overtaken as a thief. It doesn't have to be a shock. We do not have to be unpleasantly surprised at the return of Christ. How are we going to not be unpleasantly surprised? How are we not going to be shocked? If you've ever worked for anybody before, you've probably experienced at one time or another, you know, Maybe you worked, maybe you're working hard and the guys you're working with, they kind of start to slack off or maybe, you know, you've been working hard and we had about all you can take and man, you just need to sit down, take a break and, and drink a sip of water and that's when the boss man shows up. Isn't that just how that works? That's how that works. I know that's how that works. The boss man don't know that's how that works, but that's how that works. And he relays that, us we need to be watchful, we need to be ready, we need to be laboring, we need to be working, we need to be expectant and excited for the return of Christ. He goes in these next several verses and makes several comparisons. He compares uh, light to darkness. He compares knowledge to ignorance, expectancy to surprise, and soberness to drunkenness. Right? And we, being saints, being believers, being in Christ, we have been moved, we have been changed from darkness to light. Right? God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. And what fellowship can light have with darkness? That damns us from God because men are born in darkness darkness. The world stumbles around in darkness. But Christ has drawn himself very near with the hopes that we might grope in the darkness and find him. Coming from Acts. Not that we find Christ, right? You're with me on that. But he has made himself come near to us so that we who walk in darkness can see a great light and come into that light. But there are men, and many men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. That ought not be so for the believer. And we are children of light, knowledge and ignorance. We know the coming of the Lord. We believe the coming of the Lord. We understand the coming of the Lord so that it should not come as a shock to us when He comes. And we've talked about this regularly because every chapter ends talking about the coming of Christ. 1 Thessalonians has spoken regularly about the coming of Christ. And it is really difficult for us to sober our minds to the reality of the return of Christ. You know how I know that's hard for you to do? Because it's hard for me to do. Because we believe that as things have been for so long through the paths of our life, they always will be. But he says we do not have to be shocked and that we should live in expectancy of the return of Christ. When he's talking about soberness and drunkenness there, he's not talking about alcohol, okay? He's talking about being drunk on the pleasures of this world. He's talking about being drunk on life. He's talking about coveting and valuing and desiring life and the things of life the world, and when I say the things of the world, don't think I mean, oh, rampant sin, right? We desire life more than we desire Christ. I put it before the teenagers just Sunday night. How many of you are, would like for Jesus to come back now? And they're all kind of like, well, why not? And the answer I was given, well, I, you know, I kind of would like to get married. I kind of would like to have kids. I'd kind of like to Do this or do that. And I said, well, let me tell you something. I'm twice your age, and I still would kind of like to see my children grow up. And I still, you know, would kind of like to... uh, And there's, there's nothing wrong with that in itself unless we value those things more than we value our perfect union that is promised to us at the return of Christ. It's interesting to me. It's amazing to me how little needs to go wrong in our culture For people to start going, oh, even so, now come quickly, Lord Jesus. Like, oh, my world's falling in around me. Now I need Jesus to come back. When we are still living in the Disney world of this earth. Right? You're living in the Disney world of this earth if you didn't know it. If you've never been outside of the little Bible Belt and country that you live in. And it, the smallest things start to make us think it could all come crashing down. And we go, oh, this is, this is going to get bad now. God's certainly going to come back and save me from this. Right? Our, our view of, of what God owes us is so strange sometimes. But his point is that we as believers need to be sober. You know, and I use this term regularly with us, right? Because we go out into the world and we get drunk fast. Right? We get drunk on earning. We get drunk on moving up the corporate ladder. We get drunk on sports. We get drunk on, uh, you know, things that we want and things that we desire. And we come back in here to get sober and to recognize what is real and what is valuable and what is good. He says, hey, live in sobriety, keep your mind sober in the word, on the truth of the imminent return of Christ, so that when he comes, you are living in such a way that shows you are expectant and desirous, and you are lived in such a way that he can say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. The the idea that the return of Christ is some future promise that doesn't affect the now is broken theology. It is is a call, verse 8, To intentionally put on faith in God, love for God and others, and the hope of salvation. We looked at a couple of weeks ago how faith results in love. Remember that? Faith results in love, period. If faith doesn't result in love, it's not true faith. And love apart from faith is not true love. So he ties those in, faith. Walk in faith, put on faith that puts on love and put on the hope of the return of Jesus Christ or the hope of salvation. He continues to explain this hope of salvation. Verses 9-11 through For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation. We sang this morning, Standing on the Promises of God. Do you ever sing that and think to yourself, what are the promises of God? If I were to have you stand up and give me one of the promises of God from His Word that you like to stand on regularly, could you do that? I want to give you that kind of promise. I want you to collect this verse. I want you to take it. I want you to write it down. I want you to memorize it. I want you to meditate on this. If you get nothing else from this sermon this morning, take this promise from verse 9 with you. God did not appoint you as a believer to wrath. That's really good. I really need that. I need that reminder. I need that promise. I need that hope. Stand on that. Comfort, as he says in verse 11. Comfort each other with these words. He said the same thing in Thessalonians 4.18. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. The word of God is a comfort to the believer as much as it is sudden destruction to the unbeliever. He says comfort one another with this promise. You are not appointed to wrath. I want to break that down. I want to give you what that means so that, because as I say it, you're all kind of looking at me going, okay, I'm not appointed to wrath. What does it mean? I have several questions here. Are we not appointed to wrath because there is no wrath? That's not the case. There is a wrath of God upon sin. Do you have sin? Are you deserving of the wrath of God? How does the wrath of God show itself? An eternal separation from God in the lake of fire, a place prepared for the devil and his angels. The word of God is very clear about that. Jesus talks about the eternal hell more than anybody else in Scripture. Did you know that? What we know about hell doesn't come from the prophets, doesn't come from Paul, comes from the Word of Christ Himself. Jesus spoke more about hell than anybody else. And he relayed to us that there is anguish, there is separation, there is mourning, there is hurt, and there is eternal hopelessness. The wrath of God. You, as a believer, are not appointed unto wrath. Understand this, that if there is no wrath of God, then there is no need of Jesus. You ever think about it that way? If there is no wrath of God, then we don't need Jesus. Jesus came for nothing. Jesus died for nothing. Jesus resurrected from the dead for nothing if there is no wrath from which we sinful men need to be saved. So when I tell you that you have not been appointed to wrath, know that there are those that are destined towards, have been appointed towards wrath. And thank God that you have not been appointed to wrath. I ask the second question, when does this apply? It applies to my salvation. And if it doesn't do something for you to know that one day you will stand before God and you are not appointed to wrath, then God help us. But it also applies to the trials of life. It also applies to the difficulties of life. Relaying again on Sunday night to the teenagers, you have nothing to fear. You have nothing to fear at all. Absolutely nothing that you need to be afraid of. Fear God, that's it. Fear God. Does this mean nothing's bad gonna happen to you? Does this mean that nothing that you, you know, don't want to happen? Does this mean you're Mom or dad is never going to pass away? Does this mean you're going to get the things that you want? Does this mean you're never going to face hardness and trials and difficulty? That's not what it means. It means that when you do, know that it is not God appointed you to wrath. There are times in my life that I have been through, and days where I am more weak than other days, where I say, why God, are you angry with me? Are you pouring out your wrath upon me? Are you mad at me? Know that God is never filled with wrath towards you. You know, sometimes I get mad at my wife. I never express it, but sometimes it happens. She's not so good at it. Sometimes everybody knows she's mad at me. You should believe about half of that. Right? And sometimes... I'm mad at my wife without cause. Anybody willing to admit that? Sometimes I'm mad at my spouse. Sometimes I'm mad at my kids. Really without cause. Sometimes I lash out with, at them without cause. You know, God never gets needlessly upset or angered at us as His children. Do you know that God never lashes out in wrath towards us as His children? You know, there are two ways that we discipline our children. One of them is where we speak to them in a way we wouldn't speak to our dog. Right? Maybe take it out on them, our frustration... And then there's another way where we sit down with them lovingly and patiently and explain to them and describe to them that they know that they have broken the standard and they know that they are being disobedient or whatever it is that they are doing and we relay to them that I am now going to discipline you for that because I love you and I want you to learn to live differently because it will be best for you. Because it doesn't make God happy, it will not lead to your happiness. Right? Which way does God discipline us? Always. The second way. Never according to wrath. Never according to vengeance. Does this promise the outcome and circumstances of my choosing? Of course not. Listen, I don't know what you're facing, I don't know what you've faced. Some of you have faced the loss of children. Some of you have faced the loss of a spouse or a parent. Some of you have gone through terribly rocky places in the relationships that are closest to you. And you will again. You will again. Will you be able to stand on the promise... That while I wouldn't choose these circumstances for myself, I know that my God, my Father, who has chosen this for me, does not bring this to me because of wrath. Will you stand on that promise? What am I appointed to? God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, Listen, the circumstances that you do not want to face might kill you. Right? Okay. That's what, Paul doesn't run from that. Paul says, whether I live or die die of it, it wasn't by the wrath of God, whether I live or die from it, I have salvation in Jesus Christ. We have been appointed to salvation. We are loved. Therefore, comfort each other and build one another up just as you are doing. That salvation, that grace that teaches us, moves us into holiness. Moves us into holiness. A practical way of living that shows you have received pardon. Right? That shows... You have a love for God and a love for people. So we have the instruction for the saints in verse 12 through verse 22. He begins in our relationship with the elders of the church. He takes two verses to look at our relationship with the elders of the church. Those who labor and those who admonish. Those who labor and those who admonish. We are to give recognition and uphold them in love. This is awkward, because I'm the elder of the church. I'm the one who stands here and admonishes you. On Sunday morning, on Sunday night, and on Wednesday night, mostly. Sometimes even outside of that. I labor for you, studying and ministering. I do not do it perfectly. Sometimes I don't even do it well. Is anybody willing to raise their hand and say, yeah, sometimes you don't even do that well, preacher. Nobody but Shanna? Okay. Eddie, thank you, Eddie. So I stand before you, giving you the word of God. Just asking you to love me. Be patient with me. And when I do admonish, know that it comes from a heart of love. It comes from a desire of love. At least it ought to. And if it doesn't, be willing to tell me that I told someone just yesterday morning as we talked he said he was talking he said i hear truth in your sermon in your message and i said thank you and if you ever hear anything different tell me which is all of your jobs and all of your duties so is your relationship with your elders but something that is lost in our current culture now, I don't know how big that circle goes. It doesn't really matter. I don't guess. It's the circle that we're in. We are losing and have lost our respect for the authority of the church. Now, there are some denominations and some religions that put way too much authority on men. I have no authority over you except for what is given by the Word of God. But I have been given to you. And those that labor and minister in this church, and your brothers and sisters in Christ even, have been given to you to help equip you, to help admonish you. Moving from a relationship with the elders, he speaks more broadly to our relationship with our fellow man. Verse 13, I wrestled with, Be at peace among yourselves. I think that probably applies to our relationship with our elders. Because one of the greatest blessings for a pastor is that his flock would be in peace with one another. Right? One of the greatest blessings for a parent is that their children would be in peace and unity with one another. And so I don't think that it's a mistake that verse 13, and we know that the verse separations are not inspired by the Word of God, but even in Paul's writing you can see where he tags that with esteeming the elders over you and then breaks that up with now we exhort you to do this. So live peaceably one with another. But these are what he encourages them to do. We exhort you brethren first of all warn those who are not keeping the standard. You see where it says warn those who are unruly. Some in fact, I'm going to click over to it. Some translations have warned those who are idle. Now, that sounds a lot different from unruly. What it means is there's a ruler, there's a standard. Warn those who are not meeting the standard. Now, I don't set the standard for you, right? You don't set the standard for each other. But there is a standard as each one of us are growing in holiness, right? And think on this and tell me if I'm wrong. I believe holiness is more of a direction than a place. Are you moving towards God or are you moving away from God? Because we are all in different stages of our Christian maturity. We are all at different stages of life. And God is working and willing within each one of us differently at different times and different occasions. But what is your direction of holiness? Are you setting the standard you've set for yourself? Are you setting the standard that the Holy Spirit has set for you? I have found that even from people's own mouths, they will confess the conviction of the Holy Spirit to meet one standard while they don't meet such a standard. And so we warn those that are not meeting the standard. We do that out of love. We do that because we want... We want to see them moving towards holiness. We want to see them guided by the Holy Spirit into growth. Because there is no stagnancy in our relationship to God. We're either moving towards Him or moving away from Him. The flow of society away from God, the current is too strong. So you are either paddling towards God or you are drifting away from Him. And so we, in our relationships, we keep a loving, concerning eye out. I have an app on my phone that tells me where my children are and how fast they are going, when they go there. Because I love them and I want to be able to warn them if they are not keeping a good standard of driving. So he says, warn them who are unruly comfort the faint hearted comfort the discouraged when I me and chris went down to mexico a couple of years ago there was one of the pastors there that was discouraged he was looking at the work and he was looking at the flock and he was looking at the calling and he was looking at the obstacles that are greater than anything I've ever faced in my ministry and he was discouraged And I learned so much on that trip from Brother Ernie Harmon because of the way, not just the way he treated that man, but the way he talked about that man when that man wasn't around. He had a heart to encourage the discouraged. You know? There's something within us that wants to say, oh, they they know better. They ought to do better. They know what's right. Yeah, it's hard, but it's hard for all of us. It's hard for everybody. Didn't hear any of that. Because a man who loved God, led by the Holy Spirit, encouraged him. He's in the ministry still. He stepped away for a while, but he's back in the ministry. Isn't that good? Isn't that the purpose? We would love one another back into encouragement. Help the weak. Be patient with all. You know what that sounds like? Love. You know, love sounds like love, and love looks like love. And sometimes it's not real hard to see when our actions... And our words don't come from love. Because this is what love looks like. Love encourages. And love admonishes. But love upholds. And love is patient. And love is kind. And holiness shows itself in love. Does that sound weird to your ears? Do we ever think of holiness... Holiness shows itself in pointing the finger. Holiness shows himself as setting a standard that other people can't reach. Holiness shows himself in some pharisaical way that says, Woe are you and you need to be holy like I am. Do you have that kind of feel, sense of holiness? That's not what the Word describes. The holy man is winsome. Right? The holy man is loving. The holy man draws. people to Christ to the Christ that is in him when someone does evil to you moving into verse 15 refuse to return evil but instead do good do you ever hear or do you ever think that the word of God is not very applicable you ever hear that well I mean I read my bible but I just don't you know doesn't really tell me what to do Yeah, it does. When somebody does evil to you, you don't get to do evil back. That's very, very applicable. But we don't like it. It's also very, very contrary to what I like and what I think and what my natural man wants to do. He says, don't return evil for evil. You know, he's speaking to the brethren. When evil... Within the brotherhood is done to you, don't return evil for evil. That's hard to do. And especially outside the brotherhood where you can expect evil to be done to you and said to you and said about you, don't return evil for evil. Turnabout is not fair play. Right? Right? Just because somebody does that to you doesn't mean you get to do that to them. Or just because that's how they play the game doesn't mean that's how you get to play the game. Why is that? Because you have different dads. (laughs) I can't repeat the things that Wendy said yesterday in my kitchen, but she knows what I'm talking about. Where her daughter has said, why can't I do this and why can't I do that? And her response was, because that other girl's mother doesn't love her. And lets her do this and that. But I love you and I'm not going to let you do this and that. Why doesn't God let us return evil for evil? And why doesn't God let us not be patient? And why doesn't God let us use our words to lash out at others? Because God knows that that will destroy us also. Why doesn't He let us be that way? Because He loves us. Their father the devil doesn't love them. Continuing the instruction for the saints, you had their relationship with the elders, relationship with others, and then their relationship with God. This is your relationship with God. Are you ready? Verse 16. My relationship with God. Now this is hard. We know that our relationship with God is a sad and somber thing. We know that our relationship with God is a lot of humming and, and quoting and repetition our relationship with god is very very difficult thing to keep up and to do isn't it i don't even know why we think that way you know what your relationship with god is to be stamped by rejoice 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 are you appointed to wrath no then rejoice have you been granted salvation no then rejoice you've been given the freedom from sin because the bible is plain that the unsaved man is drug about by his sin like a dog on a chain if you've been given the freedom from sin to walk holy and in love before god then rejoice rejoice always Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Are you with me? I think we need to quit singing those songs to kids and just start singing those in church. Your relationship with Christ is one that ought to be defined by joy. And rejoicing. I rejoice in what I have joy in. Right? God says rejoice always. Always rejoice. Get your eyes above the thing that wants to steal your joy and rejoice anyway. Know and stand on the promises of God that that thing that wants to steal your joy is not intended to you for wrath, is sent by God to make you into His image. He is going to do something better in you and for you through it. You're going to go closer to God because of it. Count it all joy when you fall into different kinds of temptations and rejoice. Well, God makes us rejoice. What is wrong with us? Right? Pray without ceasing. You really could take these three. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. And they're all prayer. Right? Rejoicing before the Lord. Rejoicing in Christ. Rejoicing to God. Part of your personal prayer time when nobody else is around ought to be. And this is why I love praying through the Psalms. Because the Psalms directs me to do this in a biblical way. Part of your personal prayer life ought to be. I take time to rejoice and before the Lord in what He has done for me, because He has done so much for me. Pray without ceasing. Pray constantly. Don't stop praying. A couple of ways that I believe this applies. Never end your conversation with God. Okay? I don't know how you communicate with your wife. Text, phone calls, whatever. In some ways, there's a, running rela- there's a running conversation with my wife. I never text her and say, hey, this is Aaron, I'm just checking in to see. And I never text to her, thank you for your time, and I appreciate that, and I'll talk to you later, talk to you tomorrow. Right? We don't do that. It's a never-ceasing conversation. And so, this idea of praying without ceasing is being in a constant prayerful state before the Lord. Ever aware that God is with you, ever aware that He is on your side, ever aware that He is in control. You know, there's so many different types and kinds of prayer, but I've heard it called arrow prayers. Where you're in a situation, i.e. you can't get the crud out of your throat, and you're going, God, I've got to sing and preach for the next hour. Could you just get, me, get this crud out of my throat? Arrow prayer. Pew! Shoot that one up. And that's good. Now if that is the basis, that is the foundation of your prayer life, we've got a problem. Right? Praying without ceasing. Remain in a state of dependency upon God. Always walking in the truth. Never believing the lie that you don't need God to put one foot in front of the other. That's a lie. You need God to put one foot in front of the other. We prayed just this morning from Psalm 36. You preserve man. If he doesn't preserve us, we cease. Remain in a state of dependency on God and keep a regular appointment with God and never break it. Pray without ceasing. You never grow out of a need to communicate with God. And you should have a regular appointment Time that you pray with God. We look at the story of stories of Daniel, right? We look at how he stayed away from sin and stayed away from the pleasures of Babylon, and God blessed him. We look at how he rose into a high rank there in Babylon. We look at how he was thrown into the lion's den. And God saved him. We look at how God showed himself to him in amazing, miraculous visions. Right? And what do you know about Daniel? Daniel was faithful and never ceased to pray to God in a set place and position three times a day. Daniel wasn't Daniel because God said, you know what, I really like Daniel he's a good-looking dude and he's real smart and I'm gonna give Daniel purpose in his heart and Daniel did not cease to seek God on a regular basis and God rewarded him because of that you need a regular time to meet with God don't break it don't break it for anything me and my wife have driven to work a couple of times together this week and Sometimes the the things that I deem absolutely necessary before walking out the door are not the same things that she deems absolutely necessary before walking out the door. Anybody ever been there? There are certain things that if I'm going to be late, then so be it. I've got to do this thing. And there are other things that go, well, I can't do that. I'm going to be late. Right? Whatever that is for you. Make prayer one of those things. I didn't get to have breakfast today, but I prayed. I didn't get to check the ESPN this morning, but I prayed. I didn't get to have my coffee, and I'm going to feel it all morning, but I prayed. Are you with me? Pray without ceasing. Don't let that quit. Don't let that stop. If you are cold towards God, I I was listening to something... This week that really, it wasn't even from here. If you are cold towards God and you have a desire to get your desire back. Anybody been there? I don't desire God like I once did, but I want to. What in the world do I do? Start praying. Start praying. Be determined to pray. Pray. And get a hold of God. And follow the Christian disciplines. i got to move quickly. Be thankful in everything. Give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You want to know the will of God for you? Give thanks. Chapter 4, you know the will of God? Abstain from sexual immorality. People talk about not being able to find the will of God. And how do we find the will of God? And how do I know the will of God? They're looking for some kind of vision for the future. And God says, my will is that you would give thanks in everything. That's my will for you. Be actively thankful to God. There are times that I am thankful for my wife that I do not express it. That doesn't fly. If you're thankful to God, then tell Him. Give thanks. You can't just have thanks. You have to give thanks for Everything. Be open, verse 19, in your relationship with God. Be open to the Word of God as it comes by different avenues. I do not have the time. I've preached slower than, than even I thought I would. And all God's people said, oh my. We don't have time to get into this despising of prophecies. I believe that God speaks to you through my preaching, I believe that God speaks to you when a brother or sister in Christ gives you a word of admonition. I believe that God speaks to you when a brother or sister in Christ gives you a word of encouragement. I believe that God speaks to you when a brother or sister in Christ shares a word from Scripture. Right? I believe that's the kind of prophecy that we're talking about here. We're not talking about prophets who come down and tell you the future. What he is saying is, be open to the Word of God as it comes to you by different avenues. Be open. I've skipped the first one. Be open to the teaching, guiding, and moving of the Holy Spirit. Don't let those who put on a show and call it the Holy Spirit rob you of your affection And your openness to the direction, the guidance, and the emotional moving of the Holy Spirit. If your relationship with God through Christ doesn't move you emotionally, there's a disconnect. And some of you men, I can hear you saying, oh man. No, you're not. Not if you're not moved emotionally by the Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done in you, because of what Christ has done for you, because of what you see, of the blessings of God all around you. And I'm not saying you got to stand up here and cry. I cry way too much for no good reason. The only place I do it is right here, though, all right? I'm a man. Not much of one, but technically I'm a man. I don't cry at movies, all right? Unless they're really, you know, Coco got me. Be open to the Holy Spirit. Be open to the moving of the Holy Spirit. Don't let verbiage, right, rob you of your relationship with God through His indwelling Spirit. Be open to the Word of God as it comes by different avenues. That's do not despise... Prophecies do not be without discernment. Hold fast. Test all things, excuse me, and hold fast what is good. Listen, when I say these things, that doesn't mean that whatever someone says to you is the Word of God. Okay? I don't care how holy they seem. doesn't mean that everything they say to you is the Word of God. I, am, I, I try to be very careful when I speak to people with my pastor hat on that they don't think that everything that I say is the word of God because it's not listen I know I mean it may not be a bad thing if it's kept in the right attitude in the right light but I know churches where folks they won't do anything without talking to the pastor first and the pastor has to say yeah you it's okay you can buy that car right We're not such babes in Christ that we don't have the Holy Spirit within us and we need to be able to practice discernment. To test what is truly of God, what is truly of Christ and hold fast to that. Don't take that lightly. I pray this so regularly when church services are over that God, as you have spoken to our hearts through this message, as you have put your finger on a certain thing that you have Shown a need of repentance or conviction. God, do not let us take that lightly. When you come in here and you hear the Word of God and the Holy Spirit, not Aaron Wall says, you know that that's not right. You know that you need to make amends. You know that you need to change. Take that as what it is and hold fast to that. That is God Himself speaking to your heart. And take that with the heaviness that it is and do it. Lastly, in our relationship with God, we need to amputate sin. You want to quench the spirit, then walk in sin. You want God to be silent, live in sin. We must amputate sin. then lastly, the arrival, the completion and the reunion... Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I told you from the very beginning, we've looked at it every week. In chapter 1, we saw salvation in the return of Christ. In chapter 2, we saw service in the return of Christ as we're laboring expectantly for the day of Christ. In chapter 3, we looked at the stability that we have established Waiting for the day of Jesus Christ. We talked about long faithfulness. Just last week in chapter 4, we talked about how we do not have to sorrow as those who have no hope. Because Christ is going to return. And those that are dead in Christ, they are going to rise first. And then this week, we look to the return of Christ. Because He Himself will sanctify us completely. Unless you're tired of your sin and your shortcomings and and the failures of your flesh, you don't get excited of the day that you are going to be sanctified completely. The noticeable process of your sanctification is proof of your salvation because it is God doing the sanctifying. Denial of this truth is disregards the necessity of holiness in a believer. If you say that my direction of holiness is not necessary for my salvation, you have believed a lie. Because God, He who has called you, is faithful and He will complete it. Now, does this ever mean that you, does this mean that you never take two steps forward and one step back? Does this ever mean that you don't Go through the ebbs and flows and the ups and downs of Christian life. No, that is not what that means. But if there is not a visible, viable process of growth in Christ, then you have no proof of maybe a prayer or a card that you signed or a hand that you raised in years gone by. The pitfalls on either side of this truth are legalism or hopeless despair. If you think, I don't need God to sanctify me, but I'm going to work hard, I'm going to try hard, I'm going to be better, I'm going to be holy, then you are steeped in legalism, and you're none of His. And if you believe, well, God's doing the sanctifying, so I don't have to do anything, I can live as I ought, and if I'm a dirty sinner, then He didn't sanctify me, and if I'm good, then He did it, and I just, I don't have any part in this process, which is not biblical whatsoever. There's pitfalls on either side. Psalm 127, verse 1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. He closes speaking to believers. He closes and says, We're looking forward to the completion of our sanctification in body, in soul, in spirit where we shall be like Him, for we will see Him as He is, for the sin that we are born with and we wrestle with, O wretched man that I am, there's a law within my members when I want to do good, evil is present in me. We look forward to the day of the return of Christ when He will complete our sanctification. And if it's not Him doing it through the process of your days, then you are none of His. But if it is Him doing it, And as I pray that it is, as I look around and I see those that have confessed salvation, I see believers, and I'm thankful for that, then praise Him and look expectantly to that day. Press towards the mark for the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Do your part. Be malleable as clay in His hand. Be submissive to His Word. Fill your mind with His Word. Seek Him in prayer. Rejoice in Him. Let it overflow from your heart and from your lips. Constantly your loving relationship with Him because of what He is doing with you, looking forward expectantly to the day when He completes it. That's what we look forward to. Let's pray. God, we thank You for the time You've given us this morning.